Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Small Talk podcast. My name is Katie Fairman and I hope that you have all had a lovely time over the holidays. It is nearly the end of 2023 and I'm going to save the soppy kind of podcast review stuff for a later episode. But today we are going to be taking a look back at the F1 2023 season because at a glance, it might feel like Max Verstappen just won everything. And that is probably what people will say about this year when we look back in a couple of years' time. But there were lots of really good moments, some of them funny, some of them wholesome, and some other just like strong moments that happened throughout the course of this season. So I thought, as a little review piece, let's take a look back at those moments. I've made a list here on my laptop and... Let's let's have a little reminisce. I thought that could be a nice thing to end the year on. And then for 2024, there are lots of other exciting plans. But now, let us begin. Like I say, these are a list of things that have come out of my weird brain. So excuse the randomness of them. But I feel like they all deserve their own little mention. So let's get into it. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I want to try and do this in some kind of chronological order. So let's begin at the start of the season when we had Fernando Alonso giving us a glimpse into his future TikTok personality. Aston Martin are partnered with TikTok and we kind of got an idea that he was going to really enjoy this partnership when he started resharing videos that the Aston Martin digital team had made of him, which obviously make him look great and it's a bit of an inflation of the ego. And I never expected him to take it so well and so seriously. So for me, one of my favourite moments of the season has to be Fernando Alonso becoming a meme king. I told you some of these moments are very random, but for me, this was a standout thing from 2023. Not only did we have these talks of him dating Taylor Swift, that was a really weird time in the F1 social media sphere of things, like just bizarre, but fair play to him for kind of taking that rumor I don't even does anyone actually know where that came from but taking this rumor with both hands and having fun with it maybe the Swifties weren't too keen but 
I, I thought it was a good laugh. You've also got him doing like his let him cook things, him doing the gritty, him, you know, recreating like the Sigma male meme from American Psycho. And he's taken it so seriously that actually at the end of this year, he won an award for it. He won the 2023 Spanish TikTok Awards for Public Figure of the Year. So this is something that he has fully embraced and I am definitely here for. As well as his off-track antics, we can't not mention Aston Martin's performance on the track. That has to be one of the best things that we've seen in a few years. You know, going from being, I think it's fair to say, like a midfield team. I mean, when Alonso signed that contract in the summer break of last year, we were all like head in our hands thinking, oh my gosh, this man is the king of bad career moves. And he's done it again. Like, is he just following the money? Like, why has he done this to himself? Alpine were just looking to be making some steps forward, but no, he decided to go to Aston Martin. And well, he obviously knew something was something was cooking in that Aston Martin team. And it has been a real delight to see Fernando back at the front of the grid doing what he does best. You know, I mentioned it on this podcast before, but like his intelligent driving style, like he has got such a skill that I feel I've never truly appreciated until his comeback in F1. And especially this year, having a car where he can fight for podiums has just been such a delight to watch. Obviously, he almost had that win in Monaco, but it wasn't meant to be. However, looking back at his results this year, I mean, if you had said this to a Fernando Alonso fan going into 2023, I think they would have like said that you were playing a really cruel prank on them. I mean, looking back, Bahrain, third place, Saudi, third place, Australia, third place, Azerbaijan, fourth, just missing out on the podium, Miami, third, Monaco, second. Then we go to Canada, another second place. After the summer break, we had Zanville, another second place, and a final podium of the year in Sao Paulo. And what a way to get that podium, by the way. That fight with Perez, oh, that is one of the overtakes of the season for sure. So I think Fernando Alonso slash the Aston Martin craziness definitely has to be something worth mentioning as a moment of the year for me. And within that, I also wanted to talk about Lance Stroll because although his performance maybe towards the end of the season has gone back to kind of what we expect from Lance, we have to talk about that comeback that he had after his injury at the start of the year. In case you don't remember, Lance broke both of his wrists and his little toe. You can't forget the toe injury um, when he was cycling before Bahrain testing. And we've had drivers that have had this before. I mean, his teammate Fernando Alonso, do you remember a few years ago, came off his bike over the winter break, broke his jaw. But for Lance Stroll, driving with two broken wrists doesn't seem like it's going to be very likely that you're in the car. He missed testing. We had Felipe Dragovic have to jump into the car for testing. And there was question over whether Dragovic would have to start in Bahrain and get his F1 race debut. But Lance Stroll and his surgeon that he had picked out did an incredible job of recovery. Because two weeks later... After falling off that bike, he was back in a car and then went on to finish sixth in Bahrain. That is a phenomenal recovery and I think definitely deserves to be praised. Although we have seen throughout the case of the season, like look at Daniel Ricciardo in Zanvoort, if you break your wrist, break a bone in your hand, sometimes it's not quite as easy 
not to underplay Lance's recovery here because, you know, he was clearly in a lot of pain. But sometimes if you break something in your body, it isn't just a quick fix, if that makes sense. Like the rest of us, if I were, obviously I don't want this to happen, but if I was to fall off a bike tomorrow and break both my wrists, I probably wouldn't be able to be in the same state of health as Lance would be because he's got access to the best surgeons in the world. But I still think that that comeback has to be given a shout out because that was a very impressive thing from Lance Stroll. And it was just, it was nice and wholesome at that time for Aston Martin. And I think F1 in general, it's always nice to see, I guess you could label Aston Martin a bit of an underdog. Obviously they didn't have the best of seasons since their F1 return. And it's always, I personally feel, it's always nice to see somebody that maybe you're not expecting to be back up at the front. So that was a, a good time for Aston Martin. And I think F1 in general, it's just a shame that they didn't keep that level of consistency throughout the rest of the season. We now move on to the chaos of the Australian Grand Prix. And for this race, I knew that it was a mental race. I can remember it, but I wanted to rewatch it back to make sure I didn't miss a single point in all of this. And through rewatching it, I am going to say that for me, this was the best race of the year. I'm sure that there are people listening to this that will disagree with me. And that's great. I love discussion. I love opinion. Like be sure to get in touch on social and tell me what your favorite race of the year was. But Australia, I just love it. Maybe I have a bias to Australia and the Australian Grand Prix, but this was such a good race. Things started off strong for the Australian Grand Prix when the lights went out and it was not Max Verstappen who was leading the way. I know, complete shock. It was George Russell in his Mercedes who took the lead of the race, followed by Lewis Hamilton who got through Verstappen, putting Max into third and then Charles Leclerc ended up beached in the gravel, which sad noises if you're a Ferrari fan. That's the second year in a row that one of the Ferraris has ended up in the gravel there at uh, Albert Park. But George Russell was in the lead and we got a sniff of maybe another person winning the race. I know, OK, it was lap one. Maybe that was a bit dramatic, but it was still somebody that wasn't Max in the lead. You know, normally by this point, Max is, it feels like going into the sunset. So Somebody else leading was always going to be a little bit exciting. Then we had poor Alex Albon crash and brought out the red flag because not only was it a big shunt, damage to the barriers, but it also chucked a lot of gravel onto the racing line. Now, before it went into a red flag, George Russell, the man who was leading, made the decision as well as Mercedes to pit from the lead when it was a yellow flag because I guess they weren't anticipating the red. And ruined his race completely. So we then had Lewis Hamilton leading as we went into a red flag and things continued to get crazy from there. Even before we got back underway with racing, the red flag seemed to cause some miscommunication issue towards the back of the pack because we had a handful of cars almost crash into each other. But once we got racing again, there was a stunning pass from Max around the outside of Lewis pretty much flat out, which put him back into the lead of the race. So it was a very short-lived time of Mercedes at the front, but I am still counting it as a W just because it was somebody different. However, for Mercedes, we then saw some very rare reliability woes 
And George Russell retires at the end of the pit lane. Now, he's probably a little bit thankful that maybe he wasn't in the lead of the race when this happened. But yeah, we didn't see many big reliability issues with these cars over the course of 2023. So that one definitely stands out for me. We then had Max Verstappen have a rare spin up at the front of the pack. But didn't lose pretty much any time, didn't lose a position. And although, you know, it was only the third race of the year, it does beg the question that, you know, what is F1 like at the moment if we can have the leader of the Grand Prix literally spin his car, go off the track, come back onto the track and still have what felt like many seconds gap. So anyway, a rare mistake, I guess you could call it from Max. But then things went to another level. On lap 53 of 58, when Kevin Magnussen in his Haas whacked a wall and lost his right rear tyre, causing another red flag. Once everything calmed down, we then got a restart. And this restart was going to be a two-lap sprint. We've seen two-lap sprints before. Take a look at Baku in 2021, I guess it would have been. Or maybe 2020 or 2021. I think it was 2021. Is the year that we had Hamilton have his lock up into turn one. We had a Perez victory. It was all that that race. You know the one I'm talking about. But the two lap sprint. Lights go out. We have Carlos and Alonso tangle. Perez is going wide. We had Nick DeVries and Logan Sargent crash at the back of the pack. Then for Alpine, the worst possible scenario happened when the two cars crashed together Big yikes, and especially as all the media was fueling this idea that Pierre and Esteban hate each other. So then for the teammates to crash together, you know, that's rule number one of racing. Don't crash into your teammate. Like, big dramas there. Lance Stroll also continues to go off the track, and there's another red flag. So everything stopped again, and it was just absolute bonkers. Had people questioning whether we should have these sprints towards the end, but I feel sometimes as if we can't win in Formula One. We can't have these two lap sprints because it's too chaotic and all this sort of stuff. But then if a race was to end under safety car, then everyone's like, oh God, it's so unfair. Like look at Monza a few years ago and Ricardo stopped to the side and they couldn't get his car out of gear and then they had to bring the digger on track and they decided to end under safety car instead of do a red flag and restart. And everybody was upset about that decision. So then they do it here in Australia and then everybody's upset about this. And it, it was... I feel sometimes there's just never a right answer. Everybody's always going to be upset one way or the other. We do eventually finish the Grand Prix, but even then things didn't calm down. We had fans somehow make their way onto the track. I mean, if you're willingly climbing over fencing or sneaking through gaps in fencing to get onto a track when there are live cars in there, you are an idiot. Like just straight up, you're a moron. Um, but we had fans try and do that. So the organizers of the race got in trouble. And then we had poor Carlos Sainz, who got a five second penalty for his incident with Alonso. And, you know, normally in some of these races, a five second penalty is a savage thing and can affect your grip position. But in the way that everyone finished this race, literally nose to tail, it meant that the penalty dropped Sainz from fourth to 12th instantly. And we heard him on the radio pleading with the FIA and the stewards to be kinder with their penalty. But no, he went from P4 to P12. 
and one of the toughest pills to swallow, I think, for Carlos Sainz because he still thought it wasn't his fault. So there we go. Australia, you will forever be famous. And for me, that was my Grand Prix of the year. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Next up, we had Esteban Ocon almost running over photographers in Baku. Do you remember when that happened? Seems like so long ago, but that actually happened this season. Now, we knew that this, like, Esteban Ocon had to make his mandatory pit stop. All drivers have to make them. He had got to the end of the race and had yet to stop. And so... I don't understand. I still don't understand how this happened. But the FIA granted permission to the photographers to get in place ready for Park Ferme. Apparently at the time they were saying that this is very standard practice. From memory, maybe the pit lane in Baku is slightly different to how some of the others behave. But it's still like a terrifying ordeal to have Esteban Ocon make a pit stop. That It seemed like everyone on the TV knew this had to happen. We heard it on the commentary. You know, we can see it on the graphics. Pit stops made. We know the rules. We know that Esteban had to make this stop and switch for another set of compound of tyres. But... Still, it, it we were so, so lucky to avoid any kind of injury or incident. But really, this cannot happen again. And I mention this in here, not as obviously like a funny moment, but more a scary moment and kind of a like WTF moment, because how on earth is that happening? We had it something not quite the same, but similar at Albert Park in 2022 when Alex Albon, same kind of thing. He was a legend on his tyres, made them last pretty much the whole race distance and then had to make a pit stop on the last lap. And we had VIPs sort of being given priority place ready for the podium with an F1 car going past. So I don't know how the FIA are going to look into that for, for future events or if there have been significant changes made into the regulations or something like that. But um, yeah, a very strange moment for, for Ocon. But luckily for Alpine, there were other good moments. I know obviously I've mentioned this crash in Australia and then this moment in Baku. But Alpine did manage to get two Grand Prix podiums, which was great. We had Esteban in Monaco saying his famous Esti Bestie on the podium, baby, which a lot of people were like, he is so cringe. And I was like, 
let the man live a little bit. You say you want drivers to have a bit of personality. He shows it. And, you know, he's probably full of adrenaline. He's absolutely buzzing. He's got podium in Monaco, like one of the most difficult races on the calendar and in a car that you could argue should probably not be there. And he just has a little bit of fun and everybody shoots him down. Feel like the man can't win. But Esteban Ocon on the podium in Monaco. We also had Jeremy Clarkson having a weird sort of link to to this moment because he put something on Twitter and said, I'll give everybody at Alpine free beer, his Hawkstone beer brand that he's got, if they can keep that podium place, which they did. So then in the coming days, um, Jeremy went down there in like a tractor and yeah, sure enough, bought everybody some, some free beer. So fair play for keeping your word. Um, we also had Pierre Gasly in Zandvoort. Obviously, this is his first season with the Alpine team. So nice that he was able to secure that podium finish. Those trophies in Zandvoort as well, like they deserve a shout out for themselves. Like they were absolutely massive. They're like goblets, if you can kind of remember what they look like. If not, do a cheeky little Google because, yeah, they were like the size of the driver's heads almost like half the size of their body and of course Pierre getting that um sprint podium as well so I guess you could call it three podiums but we're going to call it two officially for the Grand Prix but yeah some good moments for Alpine which is nice I've really enjoyed this season having so many different teams up on the podium it feels like obviously looking at last year sort of the only team or only driver that made it onto the podium that wasn't a Mercedes a Ferrari or a Red Bull was Lando Norris from McLaren so there was plenty of variety on the podium this year which is something I feel hasn't really been talked about too much obviously we mentioned that Max just seemed to win everything and there have been lots of other different people on the podium which I've really enjoyed um, and some of which we're going to talk about in a little bit as well. Another story that I followed closely this year was the Alpha Tauri seat swapping. Now don't get me wrong, I love the drama. I love the drama as much as the next person but part of me still doesn't love the brutal nature of it although I do understand at the end of the day F1 is an intense sport and it is all about performance and if you're not cutting it then you're out and that is what happened to Nick DeVries he obviously had his debut in Monza last year with Williams everyone thought he was the next best thing since sliced bread then he gets the opportunity to have a full-time F1 seat you know he's proved himself in other categories he's an F2 champion he's a Formula E champion And he's a good racing driver. You know, I can sit here hand on heart and tell you that he is a really good racing driver. However, F1 clearly just wasn't quite working for him. And I do feel sometimes that there's a little bit of double standards within the world of F1, even with AlphaTauri. Because looking at somebody like Yuki Tsunoda, for example... When he came into F1 in his rookie year, he was having accidents. It felt like every other weekend or whatever, in a qualifying session or a practice session or the Grand Prix, you know, he had that massive shunt in Imola. He had another one in Paul Ricard. Like, I'm sure if I was to Google it now, I could find lots of examples of expensive crashes that Yuki was having. If I remember correctly... 
There was another one in, oh, I can't remember where it was. Hungary, maybe? Like I said, I'm literally going through the files in my brain to work this out. I could just Google it. But um, Yuki made lots of very expensive and silly mistakes in his rookie year. But he was kind of given benefit of the doubt I don't know if it's because he was quicker if he was they knew he was fast but he maybe was a little bit reckless or what it was but Nick didn't get that kind of time to bed himself in he was in and then he was out perhaps it was because they knew they had Daniel Ricardo waiting in the wings and maybe that wasn't the case when it was Yuki's rookie season but regardless Nick DeVries was out after the British Grand Prix and I felt a bit bad at the time because I interviewed him in Silverstone and then two days later it was announced that he was kind of out and he he was done. So it is it is a brutal world, this F1, and sometimes, you know, especially I feel like after Drive to Survive, there seem there oh, there is like a real human connection with these drivers that some Previously, I don't think we've ever had before. I'm trying to explain this point the best way I can. But, um, you know, in previous years, maybe there wasn't such a a human connection with these drivers. If they were slow or whatever, you know, you'd see them do their interviews, but that would be about it. Whereas now we've got social media, we've got Drive to Survive. There really is that kind of, I don't know, sometimes they can feel a bit like a friend, if you know what I mean. So... Anyway, we had Nick DeVries out at Alpha Tauri in the middle of this year and Daniel Ricciardo got, got brought back in. And I'm happy about that because, as you probably know, I really rate Daniel as a driver. Obviously, he had this massive knock of confidence when he was in McLaren and maybe that will teach him for seat changing and swapping so regularly. Obviously, he went to Red Bull, then he went to Renault and was there for two years and then he made the jump to McLaren and... It didn't end up working for him. And I'm really glad that he's had this chance to sort of not redeem himself. But, you know, if that was the end of his F1 career at McLaren, like it would be such a sad way to go. Whereas now he's back in a car that he's comfortable in. And hopefully he can sort of stay within that place. I still think that, yes, him going to Red Bull might seem like a grand idea. But at the moment, we need to just take what we can and I think Daniel also needs to be smart in his decisions because he can go to Alpha Tauri he can be comfortable in that car he can drive it in the style that he wants to and if he does decide to retire in a couple of years like I think he can end his career in a way that everyone's like yeah like he had some really good moments in those last few years whereas he's a racing driver he's professional he wants to be like he's such a competitor he wants to be in that red bull i'm sure of it he wants to go up against max he probably thinks that he is better than max that he can challenge max more and i don't know i just get this impression like i have a full belief in daniel that he could do it but part of me thinks that reality is that it's just going to be the same like he's going to be compared to Max like he was compared to Lando you know it could be exactly what's happened to Checo and he could have a chance of having his sort of reputation put on the line again and that would be a sad way for him to sort of end his F1 career anyway I'm completely going off my tangent here stick to the script Katie come on we had Ricardo then foolishly forget to take his hands off the steering wheel when he had this collision in Zanvoort broke bones in his hand and was forced to sit out for a fair big chunk of the season 
which meant that Liam Lawson was then drafted in, given his F1 debut. And fair play to Liam, he hit the ground running. And maybe you could use that as a good example of Liam versus Nick DeVries. Liam seemed to get to grips with that car instantly almost and he was scoring points in like his third and fourth f1 race so an amazing job from liam still wasn't enough to get him a permanency in 2024 but you know he did a fantastic job showed not only alpha tarry and red bull but the rest of the grid what he is capable of and i'm really hoping that there will be a way of him getting a seat maybe for 2025 obviously the 2024 grid is going to be a super interesting one because there are so many contracts that are up at the end of 24 so there we go the alpha tarry seat swapping is definitely a story that i followed closely and uh, i found very very interesting Next up, we have Lewis Hamilton and a moment that I feel has gone completely under the radar this year. I have had these ideas for moments of the year for a couple of weeks now and inevitably as I take my time to record this, I mean this is my second time recording it because I wasn't happy with my first one, however I have seen other people do kind of reviews of the year and I haven't really seen much of this moment mentioned And that is Lewis Hamilton getting pole position in Hungary. It was his ninth pole at the track, which I believe is a new record. He was three thousandths of a second to Verstappen. And it was his first pole position since Saudi Arabia in 2021, which takes him up to a record 104 pole positions. And yeah, I just think that was a nice moment to see him back at the front, give him a bit more fire in the belly, that kind of thing, because obviously these last few seasons have been pretty difficult for him when he's gone from being so dominant and winning every other race to being in a car that just can't seem to get its way up back to the front and have that same level of success that we've seen Mercedes have before. But Hamilton pole in Hungary, I thought was a nice moment that, uh, I will remember from this season. Okay, back to the more random ones. And these ones are some of my favourite, I think. But another thing that stands out for me this year is Charles Leclerc releasing his own music. So far, he has released three pieces of classical music. They are Os 23, Maya... I don't know why I said it like that. Maya 23 and Mon 23, which I'm guessing are short for Australia, Miami and Monaco. Or it could be Monza, actually. Oh, maybe I should check this, but it's fine. We'll use our imaginations. Um, So some beautiful music from Leclerc. And I'm really happy that he has had the confidence to share some of these. I mean, one of them got like it's debut on classic fm if i remember correctly so it takes a lot to put yourself out of that comfort barrier and we've seen other drivers obviously have their experience in music we have lewis hamilton with his rap that he did on the christina aguilera song and then people like Jacques villeneuve who released a whole album of music but i think it's refreshing to see drivers have other hobbies away from racing 
And yeah, I think it's quite a vulnerable thing to put music out, um, especially if, you know, maybe certain people, I love classical music, but some people might not be a fan of it. And so I think it shows a lot of maturity from Charles to sort of be like, well, no, actually, do you know what? I really like writing music on the piano and I like performing the piano and this is my work and it takes a lot to put that out into the into the atmosphere so I think that was really nice and hopefully maybe over the winter break he's been composing some more stuff so I eagerly await to hear them. On the Ferrari mention you can't not talk about Carlos Sainz winning in Singapore. But it proved Carlos to be a very clever driver. I mean, keeping Norris back for all of that time, who also finished second again. And actually, Norris's success this season, which I'm not going to really go too much into because it's not in this list, but we can talk about it. Like, obviously, amazing work from, from McLaren and Lando this year. He's done such a great job. But he is now tied on Nick Heidfeld's record of the most podium finishes without a win, which for those of you that are maybe new fans to Formula One, I hate to tell you, but that was a record that hung around Nick Heidfeld for pretty much all of his career. And I think he might have actually managed to do the same thing in Formula E and have the most podiums without a win there. But I'm sure it's only a matter of time before Lando gets that first win. And I know that it's going to be very, very sweet for lots of you McLaren fans listening in. Amazing, amazing win from Carlos. We also had the Russell crash on the last lap, which is very dramatic. And talking about non-max wins, we also have to mention Checo's wins in Saudi and Baku this year as being notable great moments so yes well done to Carlos for that and on the subject of Singapore we can't not mention the return of the Singapore lizard which was a very short-lived return um, because Fernando Alonso ran it over and it died so a pretty sad moment actually but it was it was fun for the moment that it was on the track, I remember Twitter going into a bit of a frenzy. We had Max making the joke that Godzilla was back because we have seen the Singapore lizard previously on the track. It's one of the dangers, I guess, of having... Well, actually, it's not just having a street circuit because we've seen things like dogs make their way onto the circuit in Bahrain, I think it was a few years ago, and we had Vettel making the joke of who let the dogs out, and we've seen ones before of deer making their way onto the track in places like, um, I think it was in Austria, but that could be wrong. Um, and yeah, animals can unfortunately get their way onto the track. They can be very sneaky, um, but Fernando Alonso was the one that unfortunately ran it over so r.i.p singapore lizard um i'm very sorry for your loss on the subject of animals i didn't even intend for these to be sort of linked um but i have got here vettel's return and his buzzing corner that he he put together now this was at suzuka which sebastian has said is his favorite track he made a comment before he retired in 2022 that said if there was a chance to have an f1 return and it was at suzuka then he might consider it whether that was a bit of a joke or not i don't know but vettel was back in the f1 bubble in monaco but 
more, mostly in Suzuka. And he wanted to create a corner at the iconic track to create awareness around the subject of biodiversity. And so he got all the drivers to decorate their own bug hotels or hives or whatever you want to call them down around turn two, which the curbing was also painted black and yellow. And it's meant to hopefully encourage a lot more bugs and wildlife to that area. And I believe that maybe Vettel will have a couple of these buzzing corners at circuits around the world, maybe in the coming years, which would be exciting. But it was very wholesome to see Seb not only back in the F1 paddock and things like that, but, you know, there were pictures of him stood in his buzzing corner on his own, like waving these little flags with bees on or whatever as the cars were going past. I mean, that man is just so lovely. So, so lovely. So yeah, having anything Seb related, you knew had to make it into my top moments of 2023. Back to racing and on-track stuff and McLaren, we can't not mention Oscar Piastri. What an incredible rookie season that guy had. And for me, the Oscar Piastri sprint win in Qatar is definitely up there, I'd say, in my top three moments of the year. What a win for him. His, Like I said, his performance has just been incredible all year. So he put it on pole for the sprint. He managed to keep Max behind for the checkered flag, which is not an easy thing to do, as we've like seen throughout the course of the season. But unfortunately, Qatar also brought us some pretty unpleasant news stories, which one of them came from the heat that was happening at this circuit. Now, I believe F1 and the FIA and organisers aren't going to let this happen again. The, the Grand Prix is at a slightly different time next year. But the heat was basically causing all of these drivers, not actually not all of them. I think we need to remember that, that although we saw a lot of drivers struggling, we had people like Ocon saying that he was being sick in the helmet, Stroll saying that he felt almost faint when he was driving, going around corners. Logan Sargent had been suffering apparently from a bug earlier in the week, but maybe didn't hydrate himself well enough. And so he suffered from heat exhaustion. He had to retire. But we did see some drivers who seemed to be relatively okay. I mean, Fernando Alonso springs to mind. I know that there were pictures of all these drivers like looking absolutely awful at the end of the race. And then you've got Fernando who's like, looks like he's barely like had any kind of sweat, beaming smile, like thumbs up in the media pen. So it wasn't all drivers, but it was certainly a lot of them. And lessons will need to be learned from that because it was just so uncomfortable to hear these drivers struggling. And like I said, these these drivers, they are machines. They are a different breed to you and I in that there's really not very much that can happen for them to admit defeat and retire the car. They're going to keep going until... Well, it seems like they were going to keep going until they almost blacked out. So things definitely need to change for next year uh, because that simply was not good enough. And I did not like that one bit. Right, we're on the home stretch now. Just a couple more to go through. Now, one of my favorite moments, and yes, there might be some bias because I was actually on the ground for this one, but that was the Williams double points in Austin. Now, of course, this came about because of the shock disqualification of Hamilton and Leclerc, 
But it did mean that Alex Alban got himself a P9 and Logan Sargent, US-born Logan Sargent, got himself his first points and at home race as well, which is an extra cherry on the top of the cake. So I think that's been a definite highlight for Williams this season. I feel also we need to mention James Vowles in this. He has been such an incredible addition to that team. And we all we all love James Vowles, right? I feel like everyone feels the same about him. I'm really excited to see what he can do with that team. But a nice wholesome double points finish for Williams in Austin was a good moment. It's just a shame that Logan had to find out about it. I think he was just about to get on his private jet. I know how the other half live, eh? Um, he was just about to get onto his private jet and learnt of it. So it's a shame that he wasn't able to find out with the team on the ground, but at least he wasn't in the air or something like that. We also had Valtteri Bottas raising $150,000 for Movember with his naked calendar. And actually, I saw a lot of people receiving this calendar for Christmas, which I'm glad about, but part of me just can't wrap my head around the fact that a current F1 driver has released a naked calendar like it seems as if it's still a dream it's bizarre or maybe a nightmare maybe I shouldn't say a dream um I still find it very unusual but fair enough Valtteri Bottas if you feel that confident in your own skin and you're happy to have a laugh about it and make some money for charity then I salute you yeah I actually predicted that this calendar was going to happen as well this is one of my only W's of the year um I remember seeing him going to Aspen Colorado in the summer break and um he was sort of posting teasers of the fact that he was there and me being the weirdo that I am and actually this has probably been about the most useful thing my sort of journalism knowledge has has got me this year but um I was like Aspen Colorado that's where he took the first bot ass picture in that river there um, and so I did some Googling and I did some searching across different platforms. And then when we saw him in Zandvoort, when he came back from the summer break, he was saying, oh, I've been doing a secret project. And I was sort of putting all the dots together. And um, I messaged somebody. I was like, I think he's going to do a calendar. And sure enough, he did. So well done, Valtteri. $150,000 for November is a phenomenal amount. Um, the next thing that I want to talk about is Max Verstappen. We can't not do a podcast about the 2023 season and not mention Max Verstappen. I'm going to sort of summarize it by reading out all of the records that he's broken in F1 over the course of 2023. And there are a lot. So I'm going to quickly pause for a drink break because this list is long. Okay, here we go. F1's highest percentage of wins in a season, most wins in a season, most consecutive wins, only driver to win three times in one country during a single season, the most wins from pole in a season, the most consecutive wins from pole position, most hat-tricks in a season with pole position, the race win and the fastest lap, most points in a season, most podiums in a season, most consecutive top two finishes, most laps led in a season, highest percentage of laps led in a season, most pit stops by the winning driver in one race, Biggest point gap between first and second in the championship. Most races left in season before championship win. Most consecutive points scored. Highest percentage of points difference between first and second in the championship. And most consecutive races as championship leader. 
Oh my God. How did I manage to do all of that in one go? But yes, Max Verstappen, you are a freaking goat, aren't you? You really are. Like the fact that he's managed to put himself into third on the all-time winners list this year is an incredible achievement in itself. But there isn't really much more to say apart from what an achievement, what a season from Max Verstappen and the Red Bull team there. It's going to go down in the history books. There's no doubt about it. And uh, I'm looking forward to talking about this season in 50 years' time when undoubtedly it's going to be hailed as one of the most dominant dominant seasons by a driver we'll probably ever see in F1's history, which is crazy when you think about it. And yes, I know that we've lived through it and that's cool, but I do appreciate that it, it did become a little bit predictable towards the end of it. And it's probably not too good for the overall competition. But uh, uh, as long as we don't get the same next year and that same level of just win, 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 which could be the biggest jinx ever, I think I can just about deal with it. But if this is going to turn into Max Verstappen winning everything for the next five years, then there is a serious problem we've got on our hands. But for now, well done, Max. I think it's fair to say. Okay, my final moment of the season is something that hasn't been very talked about, and that is surrounding a gentleman called Taco Keetler. I hope I have pronounced that correctly. And he is a Dutch F1 fan who has had the goal of going to all of the F1 races in a single season for a long, long time. And in 2023, he was able to fulfill his dream. Apparently, he's a very successful person working in movies and television and stuff like that. So this is how he has got all this money to do this, because he traveled to all the races. He apparently had paddock passes for all the races. I mean, I literally want to live this man's life. He is living the literal dream. But being Dutch, he is obviously a huge fan of Max Verstappen. And in Abu Dhabi... Red Bull Racing, obviously aware of this commitment that he has made, got Taco his own team kit made and he actually got to stand within the big team photo, you know, where they bring the cars out the front and you've got Max and you've got Checo and then everybody. It's like a a big school photo that you used to have. And so he was featured in the team photo and properly embraced by Red Bull and you know they were aware of his support he also helped with some of the practice pit stops and was properly involved in it but I thought that that was quite a nice story to end on Um, a man living his dream a person that I'm sure a lot of us wish we could have an opportunity like that but hopefully you have enjoyed this episode It's certainly been a fun one to look back and reminisce at the season, a season for me, which I will obviously have my own special memories for as a year where I finally went freelance and was able to work as media in the F1 paddock. And there will be an episode coming out in the new year, which is kind of a reflection piece of how my 2023 has been and what I've learned and what I'm going to do differently going into 2024. So if you were somebody that likes listening to kind of those personal insights and I don't know about you, but like at the start of a new year, I literally like binge watch and binge listen to 
people's things that are like how I'm going to approach this new year differently I don't want to necessarily have like a new year new me thing but there's something so refreshing about kind of feeling like you're doing a factory reset on your whole self going into a new year um so I'm looking forward to recording that and also kind of alluded to it in the last episode but that's going to be available to watch on YouTube so if you like to watch your podcast which I certainly do um, and maybe you're curious about what my recording setup looks like I've actually got to have a proper tidy of my office space today and get it ready for recording later which is exciting Um, so yeah if you're all nosy like me and you want to see what my my recording space looks like and everything like that then look out for the small talk YouTube channel I'll be posting links to it I'm sure on things like social media but yeah I hope that you enjoyed this reflection episode. Okay, as I mentioned, I have got a lot of tidying to do to get ready for this second recording that I'm going to be doing later today for this New Year piece, as well as putting away some Christmas prezzies that I got over the last few days. I hope that whatever you did for the festive holidays that you had a good time or a peaceful time or a happy time. Um, And I'm hoping that there was some F1 or motorsport related goodies under the Christmas tree for you. But yes, I will see you in 2024. How crazy is that? Thank you again for all of your support on Small Talk in its very first year. It has been a real whirlwind, I won't lie to you, but I'm really looking forward to what next year is going to be bringing all of us. And yeah, take care of yourselves. Love you lots. And I'll be back very soon. Bye.